What's up, everyone? Thanks so much for tuning in to Matt's Mishmash Podcast. In my last episode, I gave a brief overview of my interests, and today, we're going to explore what is probably my biggest passion, music. Music is... magic. It has the ability to evoke moods and memories, to speak directly to our souls in ways that nothing else can. A song can lift you to the highest highs, or it can bring you to your knees. It captures the spirit of entire seasons, evoking excitement and anticipation for holidays and celebrations. It's something that we associate with the people and places in our lives, times long since past and perhaps people long since gone. It leaves an indelible imprint upon us. It speaks to us through an ocean of time. It can transport us back to a specific moment or an exact experience, a first kiss, a thrilling victory, or a crushing defeat. It's said that smell evokes the strongest memories, but I would argue that music is just as potent. In some ways, it's one of the few things that is truly universal. It spans cultures and continents, existing not merely wherever there are people, but just nature in general. The desert wind is a symphony that blows for no one. The tide casts itself upon the shore in quarter time. Spring is filled with songs of rebirth and renewal, while winter is softer in its snow-soaked silence. For me, music is the one thing that I couldn't see myself living without. I've had stretches where I haven't written a thing, weeks where I haven't touched a basketball or football, but I don't think a day has gone by that I haven't listened to or played music. Much like how reading and writing were omnipresent throughout my childhood, music too was always in the background. One of my earliest memories is of listening to Billy Joel with my mom. I associate both him and Elton John with her, much like Stephen King when it comes to books. She planted the seeds of music within me, but they wouldn't really begin to grow until much later. As a child of the late 80s and early 90s, I have strong associations with a number of cartoon theme songs. Whether it's the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Transformers songs, or Animaniacs and Power Rangers, those brief snippets served as a soundtrack of my childhood. Video game music, too, resonated really powerfully with me. Whether it was the thrilling overworld theme from The Legend of Zelda on the NES, or one of the countless classical compositions from the Final Fantasy series, each song made a home in my mind. Even decades later, I know what to expect when I hear the different themes for the Robot Masters and Mega Man, musical muscle memory that enables me to breeze through the boards I spent countless hours traversing as a kid. I'm taken back to the medieval soundtracks of the Dragon Quest series, and the epic boss battles of the many Final Fantasy entries. Still, my awareness of popular music and the various cultures surrounding it didn't begin to bloom until much later. I didn't get my first CD player until 1995, and, like with most things in my life, its origins were atypical. I didn't save up for it and purchase it with my own hard-earned allowance money, nor did I receive it as a birthday or Christmas present. Instead, it was my parents' nicotine affinity that led to this auspicious gift. By the mid-90s, they had switched over to smoking Marlboros, and, coincidentally, the company began a new rewards program called Marlboro Miles. At some point, they had accrued enough to redeem them for something from the catalog, and knowing that I was developing a deeper interest in music, they opted to go for the CD player. Mind you, this wasn't some no-name knockoff brand. This was a legitimate Panasonic unit, albeit one that was emblazoned with the Marlboro logo. I was beyond thrilled when it finally arrived, but I quickly realized the fatal flaw in my plan to expand my musical horizons. I owned no CDs. Well, that's not entirely true. I had gotten a Sega CD video game system at some point, and I had exactly two games for it, Super Shark and Sonic CD. On a whim, I decided to pop the Sonic disc into the player, and to my surprise and delight, it played the various songs from the game. My dad, seeing the sad state of my musical collection, took pity on me and took me to the Wiz on Avenue U to pick up a few CDs. Having absolutely no idea what to get, and perfectly emblematic of my eclectic ear, 
I wound up snagging Billy Joel's The River of Dreams because, of course, the Batman Forever soundtrack, since I had just seen the movie, Seal's latest album because of the ubiquitous Kiss from a Rose, and, wait for it, an Ace of Bass and Mariah Carey CD because they both had songs that I remembered from my fifth grade prom the year before. Yes, I had that little knowledge of popular music at the time. Though I feel like a part of me should be cringing with that revelation, I make no apologies for what I listen to, because everything serves to inform my own writing. I might hear an infectious pop melody that winds up getting incorporated somehow into a thrash metal riff. You just never know. When I was doing either literary or education research in grad school, we were taught to follow the chain of sources back to the primary. As a musician, I've come to appreciate the same sort of links because, oftentimes, the artists that you like enjoyed very different bands or styles. Corey Taylor, for instance, is the lead singer of two of my all-time favorite bands, Stone Sour and Slipknot. Stone Sour vacillates between very heavy rock that borders on the brink of being metal, but Slipknot is a full-on sonic assault. Listening to either band, you would never think in a million years that the frontman grew up on a healthy diet of Elvis Presley and the Eagles the former of which he was introduced to by his grandmother. And so that brings me to the crux of today's episode, sharing my passion for music with my kids. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard other parents bemoan the fact that they've been, quote, forced to listen to the songs from Frozen for the millionth time, or worse, that all their children let them listen to in the car as Kids Bob or something else that's equally saccharine sweet. Now don't get me wrong, I don't have anything against Disney tunes or any of those kids-oriented stations. I just believe that I have an obligation, as a music fanatic, to expose my kids to as much music as I can. To their credit, they've been incredibly receptive to the musical mishmash that I've subjected them to, and while not everything has stuck with them, enough has that I can see them developing their own predilections. Nothing makes me prouder from a musical standpoint than hearing from my daughter Sarah that she listens to Fleetwood Mac when she's given free time in her classroom and they're allowed to have music on. She says that Rhiannon is our song, and I wouldn't be surprised if, someday further down the road, it winds up being the sonic backdrop of a certain father-daughter dance. Tim loves Linkin Park almost as much as I do, but he also has an ear for a lot more. He loves Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, but surprisingly enough, he loves instrumental music, especially from guitarists like Annie McKee and multi-instrumentalists like Ludovico Ainaudi. He's beginning to learn about classical composers in school and was just recently talking to me about Vivaldi's Four Seasons Suite. Jack has a great memory and is on top of all of the bands from Octane and Turbo. He even reminded me last Friday that the new Ghost album had finally dropped. He's definitely the biggest metalhead in the group, and I can remember him and Sarah asking me to play our favorite song, Slipknot's Before I Forget, when they were babies. It was great seeing them forming a circle pit in the living room while still in diapers. You can't have those types of experiences if you allow your kids to dictate the playlist in the car or elsewhere. I also just have a thing about hearing people tell me that their kids essentially determine the rules, that they won't eat dinner without their iPads, or that they can't get them to stop playing video games. For lack of a better analogy, I'm the conductor in our household, and it's my job to ensure that the symphony gets played correctly. I've never understood the mentality of, my kid won't, because the way I see it, parents are the ones in charge, and it's our jobs to establish boundaries and to enforce them. Maybe my stubbornness enables me to be this way, but I've always felt like if it comes down to a battle of wills with my kids, that I'm going to come out on top every time because I have to. There's a ripple effect from those seemingly innocuous decisions, whether it's letting your kid have a device at the dinner table, or not regulating their intake of unhealthy foods. And my job as a dad is to prepare each of my kids to grow into fully functioning, self-sufficient, successful adults. Of course I wish that I could let them do whatever they want whenever they want, but they have to understand that life is almost never lived on their own terms, and that they have to find a way to cope with those restrictions. 
If they lack self-control and discipline at 6 or 7, then what hope do I have that they'll make the right decisions at 16 or 17? And no, music might not be a matter of life or death, but who knows how it might influence them down the road. By the time I got to high school, my love affair with music was in full swing. I never went through a musically rebellious phase per se, but I definitely started listening to things that my parents probably wouldn't have approved of. Whether it was rap or hip-hop, alternative or new metal, my sonic horizons broadened exponentially between 1997 and 2001. It helped, too, that radio stations in New York City played a much broader range of music than they seem to now. Most of the songs were by real bands that played real instruments. You could hear the piano in brick or closing time, the guitars in everything from Third Eye Blind and The Wallflowers, to even the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. One-hit wonders like Tup Thumping, How Bizarre, and Your Woman were musically interesting, whether because of their lyrics or their composition. Now, so much of modern music feels lifeless because it's had the soul sucked out of it. I finally understand why, too, after programming music for the first time. Growing up, the only experience I had playing an instrument was the plastic recorder everyone seemed to play in the 90s. I still remember Hot Cross Buns and the good old Duke of York. It wasn't actually until senior year of high school that I found out I had any interest at all in playing music as well as listening to it. With only nine months to go until graduation, with college applications being prepared, I got a note from the program office that I was lacking a music performance credit, and without one, I wouldn't graduate. I was in the top 2% of my class, and I was facing the prospect of not putting on that cap and gown in June. It was insane, and so I asked the only question that came to mind. Which of the classes doesn't require a public performance at the end? Now, I know what you might be thinking if you listened to the pilot episode, and that's exactly what I was talking about. Remember, this was September 2000. March of 2001 was still six months away, so I hadn't fully shed all of my introversion yet. The woman told me that four of the five required a performance, and the only one that didn't was beginner guitar. I said, sign me up, and the rest was history. That class with Mr. Lawrence was just enough to turn the spark into an ember, one that would only grow in the months that followed. My brother bought me my first guitar that Christmas, and I was off and running. Now, sitting here more than two decades later, I can claim proficiency with both acoustic and electric guitar and competency at piano. I even taught myself how to play the clarinet so I could give Sarah a head start before she joined the fourth grade band last fall. I've written hundreds of pieces of music, but every single one was played on an actual instrument. When it came time to consider the theme for this podcast, I had no doubt in my mind that I would compose it, but I needed to find a starting point. With acoustic guitar as my fallback, I decided to start there. I knew that I wanted it to be something special, a song that was grounded more in emotion than musical theory, and so I thought about three of the most important people in my life, my kids. I realized that their birth years corresponded with an area of the fretboard that I love to explore, and so I decided to sit down and write a three-note jingle of sorts using 10, 12, and 14 as the basis. Now, for those of you who might not be familiar with the guitar, there's a special sort of notation associated with it that's slightly different from sheet music. Whereas the latter has notes that correspond with staff lines and spaces, the former is based on what some might argue is a far simpler taxonomy. Guitar tabs are number-based, with the number of lines corresponding with the number of strings, whether it's four or five for a typical bass guitar, or six or more for an acoustic or electric guitar. If I put a five on the topmost string, for example, in standard tuning, that corresponds with an A note. The highest string is tuned to E, and so the open string, or zero, on a guitar tab would be an E note. The first fret moves up a half step to an F, and then F sharp, and so on. And so I sat down with my Martin acoustic guitar and began to fiddle with those frets, 10, 12, and 14, on the B and high E strings. I found something that I liked right away, but I knew I needed something more than an NBC-like run of notes, and so I started to suss out a chord progression that I could play underneath it. To facilitate the process, I snagged my iPad and opened up GarageBand. 
I plugged in the chords, approximated the tempo, and turned on the autoplay feature. On a lark, I opened up the piano interface and played the riff I had come up with. From that moment on, the song wrote itself. Before I knew it, I had the acoustic guitar and piano fully recorded. After enlisting the help of Kyle, my built-in digital drummer, I had what felt like a finished song. Again, using the piano interface, I layered in the bass guitar and a clean guitar, and, as a nod to Sarah and to complete my list of instruments that I can play, I threw in a clarinet too. I couldn't believe that I had this entire song, having essentially played only two things, the primary riff on the piano and the bass guitar notes, also on the piano. I re-recorded the piano parts a few times to tighten up the syncing with the automated guitar, and that was when I realized that I could just fiddle with the individual notes within the interface. I could lengthen or shorten them, move them into their correct spots if I played them too late or too early, and even adjust the individual sound dynamics. The control I had over this composition was incredible. It was an exhilarating feeling of power, but I realized right away that it also made me feel dirty. Sure, I had clicked those errant piano notes into place, but that wasn't me. It wasn't what I actually played. It felt like a lie, and so I re-recorded it one final time, doing my best to play the piano part accurately. I wound up fixing the volume of only three notes because they were spiking in my audio editor, but the rest of the imperfections I kept intact because you can hear that it's actually me playing it. And I guess that's the problem with modern music. It's technically perfect, but bereft of authenticity. Not all music is like that nowadays, and there's still plenty of authentic lovers of music to be found. There may be none more passionate or true to himself than my first ever guest on the Mishmash podcast, Mr. Lucas O'Connor. Lucas is a year older than my oldest son, but his sister is the same age as my daughter. The girls were in pre-K together, and that was where I met their awesome parents. Both their mom and dad are extremely into music, especially the heavier bands that I love, and so we hit it off straight out of the gate. I remember loving drop-off and pick-up at the preschool, going out to breakfast and catching up on the latest music news and discussing which upcoming concerts we might try to score tickets to. When they found out that I was coaching basketball, they requested my team for Lucas, and we never looked back. We went on to spend my final three seasons of coaching together, and he gave me some of my favorite memories. I still remember calling a timeout in a tight game and going through the game plan. I asked if there were any questions, and Lucas raises his hand. I call on him, and he goes, So what do you think of the latest Korn album? That moment encapsulates him, though, as music is forever on his mind, no matter the circumstance, and it's the thing that I love the most about him. So, Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Uh, hey, thanks for having me. So, would you say that music is your biggest passion? Yeah, music's definitely my biggest passion. Alright, so what do you love about it? Uh, everything. It just makes me feel certain ways, and it sort of just brings out all of my emotions. Cool. I feel the same way. And would you say that you listen to a variety of music, or is it just heavy bands? Like, what what, what do you think you're into? Uh, definitely Korn is my all-time favorite, and then I would say my other favorites would be Slipknot, Lincoln Park, I love Shinedown, and Breaking Benjamin, so that would definitely be, like, my f- top five. Cool. Yeah, those are all bands that I love as well. Who, who would you say was your first favorite, if you can remember? I mean, to be honest, I think my first favorite band was Shinedown. They were the first band that I really, like, got into. Wasn't that one of the bands that you first started, like, practicing their songs with, with the guitar, or? Yeah, they were one of the first bands I really started practicing on the guitar, and uh, they were the band I definitely wanted to learn the most. So, yeah. Cool. Now, uh, now obviously, Korn is your all-time favorite band at this point. Um, so, how did you make the shift? Like, how did you get into them? 
Uh, so I was listening to Shinedown and like Breaking Benjamin and stuff for a while and I was trying to find like a different variety so I just looked up some bands and I saw this band Corn and I uh so I checked out the song Blind and then just when I heard that like Are You Ready that sort of changed everything and I mean the rest is history. Right and to that point new metal wasn't really a thing I mean Corn. I don't know if you would consider them new metal based on how the genre changed later on, but they were definitely at the forefront of the movement towards heavier music. Yeah, I definitely see them as like the new metal originators, and I feel like in the early 90s, the bands were like Nirvana and stuff, and then I think when Korn came out, it sort of like changed everything, and it started a whole new movement for like heavy music. Oh, absolutely. And I think the problem is that it's so hard to categorize music because it's not just one category. There's like six or seven different qualifiers that they put in there. So new metal doesn't really apply to a lot of bands that, you know, got labeled with it early on. So I know Incubus was considered a new metal band at one point. Linkin Park was. Um, now, for any of our listeners who don't know what new metal is, it's a style of heavy music that really started to hit popularity in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's categorized by downtuned, heavily distorted guitars, typically only power chords. There aren't usually guitar solos. I don't want to say that it's simple, but it's definitely on the simpler side of the spectrum musically. The vocals tend to be growly or screaming and very aggressive. And for me, Corn really doesn't check a lot of those boxes. Like, they are very, very heavy, but their music is anything but simple. Are you familiar with, like, the tunings they use and, and like, their instruments and stuff? Yeah, they definitely have, like, very, like, down-tuned guitars, and uh, they basically only use seven strings and eight strings, which was, like, at that time, that was pretty rare that they just came out, like, tuning their guitars down so much that the strings were basically falling off the guitar and, like, using these, like, big seven strings. That was unheard of at the time. Right, and I know for the bass player, that's a huge part of his sound because it's it's almost like a percussion instrument it's you know he gets the bass tone and you get the notes and everything but the way he slaps it it just creates its own sort of rhythm i guess yeah i feel like they're one of those bands where i could really like hear the bass like aside from a lot of other bands where the bass is kind of quiet their bass is just so loud especially like live too right and the way they combine it too is unique right because a lot of other bands uh not to get too musically nerdy for everybody but most bands you know the bass player is playing the root note of whatever the guitar player is playing but in corn that almost never happens it's they're really setting the backbone of the song in the rhythm section um, but there's also a melody involved too yeah yeah that's pretty that's really true i feel like um in corn the bass uh goes more towards like the drumming than the guitars exactly and if you look at a song like freak on a leash that's not a typical guitar structure or or song structure either right like the bass has a lot to do with the the dynamics at the beginning of it yeah the bass definitely has a lot to do with the dynamics especially in that song Right, and that song was not what put them on the map. Blind was definitely the song that did that, but I think Freak on a Leash was what brought them more into the mainstream. Yeah, um, Blind definitely like got them like to become really popular, but I think that Freak on a Leash and that whole like Follow the Leader album was really the like thing that brought them to the forefront and made them like very mainstream, and I feel like that is probably their biggest album to date. Absolutely. So do you have a favorite album from them? 
Uh, yeah, my favorite album by them is Issues. Right, and I know out of their more recent stuff, The Serenity of Suffering was great. I remember talking to you during a basketball game about that. Oh, yeah, that, that was definitely a fantastic album. I find myself listening to that quite often, actually. So for me, part of what I love about the earlier corn material is Jonathan Davis's like scatting, right? His... Yeah, yeah. His scatting is definitely one of the reasons I like it made me their favorite band. Like it's just so unique and you don't really hear it aside from in corn. Right. And you actually made a little bit of a splash recently, right? Because didn't you do a cover of one of maybe their most famous scat stretch there? Yeah, I did a uh, cover of Twist, um, which is definitely their most famous scat, aside from, like, the Freak on the Leash one. But, like, yeah, that was that was fun doing that. I like that. Another part of the album that I loved was the collaboration with Corey Taylor. That song was crazy, and it was called Insane, right? Uh, yeah, that, that collaboration with Corey was definitely like really really awesome for me because um i i'm a huge slipknot fan aside from corn they're probably my second favorite band so just hearing Corey and jonathan davis do vocals together that was like really really awesome yeah so it's cool because i actually got to take uh tim and sarah to their first concert at pnc and it was when stone sour and corn were co-headlining so they were flip-flopping for all the dates on the the tour and I think that was the night that Corey's son Griffin came out and sang song number three with them because Hydrograd had just come out but then because he was there he also came out and did his part for Insane when uh when Corn was on so it was super cool yeah that's definitely awesome I mean who wouldn't want to be watching a Corn show and then just see Corey Taylor come out like that definitely would be like the best part of my night yeah Absolutely. And it's funny because uh, Slipknot has never, ever done any cover. And Korn, Korn has done some, you know, on the Greatest Hits album, they had a couple. And then they're, they're arguably their best one is one from Metallica, which they've done in concert a million times. I don't know if you knew this, but Korn and Slipknot actually co-collaborated on a cover version of Sabotage from the Beastie Boys. Did you ever see that video? Yeah, I've seen it. That's one of like the things that like I just find so awesome seeing like them collaborating on one of like the best like songs, especially from like the 90s. Sabotage is just such a great song and seeing my two favorite bands cover that, it's just, that's a really awesome video. Yeah, so I just mentioned that I took Tim and Sarah to that concert you've gone to quite a few concerts yourself right yes i have gone to quite a few concerts in my day <laughs> what uh so what would you say your earliest musical memory is and what's your earliest concert memory uh i think my earliest uh concert memory which sort of fits with my earliest music memory was seeing breaking benjamin live when i was five years old oh wow uh, that was the first concert i had ever seen and like i was a huge huge breaking benjamin fan at the time like as much as i am a fan of them now that was aside from shinedown probably the first like band i really got into and so my parents took me to go see them live and that was definitely 
definitely a game-changing experience. It, it was sad, like, because they told me that I had fell asleep during Diary of Jane, which, like, <laughs> I wish I hadn't, but that's okay. And uh, I still have the shirt from the concert, and, uh, yeah, that's definitely one of, like, my earliest music memories. I heard Mr. Steve Cavino on Turbo mention the Diary of Shane recently. That was pretty funny, too. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, I sent that to my dad when it came out, and he was like, oh, the Diary of Shane. I, th- I thought that was really funny that he said that. Yeah, and Breaking Benjamin is actually a really, really, really cool band. I know Ben Burnley has a reputation for being like a really good guy behind the scenes and a perfectionist in the recording studio, which for me, I think that's great. Like the fact that he has such high expectations and, you know, a clear idea of what he wants his music to sound like. I think that's the reason why every single Breaking Benjamin album is filled with hits. Yeah, Breaking Benjamin is definitely one of those bands that I listen to the most overall. And now that I think about it, I don't really think they've released a bad album. Like not many artists could do that. And Breaking Benjamin pulled it off and I'm really excited. I'm actually seeing them live next month with us either. So I'm really, really excited for that. And uh, yeah, Breaking Benjamin, definitely one of my favorites. Seether is another band. They, They may not get a lot of mainstream love, but I was just looking at it recently. There are over 109 songs that they've recorded that I absolutely love. Like, they're they're one of the rare bands that the bigger songs that they have might not be my favorites compared to, say, Slipknot or Linkin Park or Stone Sour, but there isn't a, a bad song in the bunch. And I agree, Breaking Benjamin's the same. And... I know you've gone to a bunch of shows with your dad. Um, The one that I remember hearing about was Blackstone Cherry, which is not a mainstream, super duper popular band, but I know I've seen them live and they were really, really good. And I think you've also seen Pop Evil, correct? Yes, I saw Pop Evil a couple years ago with my dad. Um, That was really cool because we had like the, we were in the front row. So I got like a couple cool things. I got like a guitar pick and like a fist bump. So that was... I love Pop Evil, so that was one of my favorite shows, definitely. Yeah, because I think it was at the Starland Ballroom, and... Is that correct? Uh, yeah, if I recall, yes, I think it was at the Starland Ballroom. And for anybody who's been to the venue, you know that it's uh, intimate. It's very tight. Uh, there are There's no seating. So I remember your dad saying that because you guys were right up front, I mean, up against the, the security gate, the security guard was like looking out for you guys, right? And he was able to get you a little space. Oh, yeah. The guard definitely like gave us some room and he let us like get closer than everybody else. And uh, he was just pretty chill about everything. Thing. And uh, we were, I was able to touch like the top of the stage oh, wow. with my hand. So that's how close I was. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was just really cool. And then um, how about Blackstone Cherry? Because you've seen them a couple times, right? So I've seen Blackstone Cherry uh, twice with my mom. The first time I saw them was in, of all places, Hungary. <laughs> my mom is from Hungary and I got to see them in Hungary. Um, it was this small little venue, which was on a boat. So that was really awesome. The boat was basically like docked on the water and uh, they had this little venue inside the boat and uh, that was awesome and I got some cool stuff. I got a couple guitar picks and the band literally gave me their set list and let me take it home. So yeah, that was definitely an awesome experience. I got to see them a second time not too long ago and I got another set list and a couple other guitar picks. That's awesome. So have you ever gotten to meet a band like at a meet and greet or an event or... 
Um, yes, in 2019, I uh, was going to see Slipknot, and uh, they did an autographed signing in, here in uh, New Jersey. They basically, they were putting out their own, like, whiskey, and uh, we had to, like, buy the whiskey, but we got to meet three members of the band. So I got uh, Iowa signed, and uh, it was Clown, V-Man, and the new guy. And then I've also met Chad Gray on one of my um, Zoom calls with... Uh, Sirius XM Turbo. It was uh, Chad Gray from Mudvayne. So uh, Shannon Guns, one of the DJs, her husband is Chad Gray. So she told him, oh, come on to Zoom call and say, hey. So like, yeah, those are like the two bands I've met. But LD50, I just think that album is definitely a masterpiece, especially like for like heavy music. That album, I, I personally think it has no skips. And I listened to it a lot, aside from, like, because that album came out around the same time as, like, Iowa and, like, Slipknot self-titled. So they were sort of in that, like, same box as Slipknot, so they didn't get as much, like, mainstream attention as Slipknot, since Slipknot was so big. But, like, I still think LD50 is just fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you mentioned Chad Gray's wife, Shannon Guns. So let's rewind a little bit and talk about your sort of involvement uh with the turbo nation so i can tell you that i was driving one day and all of a sudden your voice popped through my speakers in the van i whipped the car over to the right and parked it because i've listened to um the turbo's driver's seat a billion times and you know most people do an okay job but you actually absolutely killed it straight out of the gate so i remember i recorded it because i wasn't sure if your mom and dad might have you know known this was going to be up there or if they had heard it um and so i sat there i recorded all four songs all four intros and i stopped recording because usually when the program ends uh Kavino will just you know say something about the person or maybe he won't even mention it at all but all of a sudden he started talking about you and i turned the camera back on started recording again and he went on for like two and a half minutes about how awesome it was to have you know someone your age with your level of passion doing the program uh well first of all thank you i really appreciate that and uh yeah so basically what happened was uh i uh basically i heard about this turbo driver thing so I decided oh how about I send them a message and like send in some songs so I sent in my message and then I got this email uh, you've been selected to be on Turbo Driver's Seat and I was like freaking out I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna be on Turbo Driver's Seat and then a couple like weeks later I heard the driver's seat and I was like oh my gosh I'm on the radio and like after that like I've had like a history with Turbo a little bit Kavito's giving me a couple shout outs I've done two different zoom calls with them um I me and my dad keep in like touch with Kavino and they like give me a bunch of different things to do and like definitely um their executive um their main executive who runs the channel his name's Sean Winkler and Kavino those two people definitely appreciate me a lot and Turbo is definitely like has sort of changed my life and like I'm so happy that I got into the station and that like I sent in that driver's seat because this never would have happened if 
if I didn't. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And from what I know, I don't obviously I don't know Steve Cavino personally, but everything that I've heard about him behind the scenes, he's a really good guy. Yeah, Cavino's such a good guy. Like I've met him on the like Zoom call I did. Um, me and my dad we message him on Instagram all the time, and he's just a really nice, genuine person, and uh, he's really funny on the air. So uh, yeah, Cavino's a great guy. Listen, I don't have a bad thing to say about anybody on Octane or Turbo. I love them all. If I had to pick one of them that you remind me of the most, it would actually be Jose because Jose Mangan's love of metal and his enthusiasm for it is infectious. And I think a lot of people feel the same way about you and your passion for the music. That's funny that you say that because when I did my Zoom call with the the executive, Sean Winkler, he said to me, "Uh, I really think that Jose Mangan would love you. You have, like, the same enthusiasm as him. uh, He said, like, uh, Jose Korn's probably in his, like, top three favorite bands, and he said, I think you and Jose are definitely very similar. So, like, that's funny that you say that. Do you see that as a possible career? path for you like maybe going into that part of the music industry um yeah i definitely find myself doing something with radio like i would love to play music professionally but i feel like i mean i've been doing this radio stuff for a couple months now and i'm starting to really really like it and i think i would have like a good career and like i'm pretty passionate about like radio djing and stuff aside from how passionate i am about playing guitar and stuff like that's my main career option I would want to do but it's one of the things that I'm like really into now especially thanks to that like driver's seat episode I put in so I know you had said that uh, earlier your mom and your dad have both taken you to concerts just for the record those are two of the coolest people I've ever met and I don't know if you realize how lucky you are to have them as parents, but the fact that they're into the same kind of music as you are and so supportive of your interest in it is actually really, really cool. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that, like, I love. Like, definitely both my parents, we connect so much over music, especially my dad, but, like, I definitely connect a lot with my mom. Like, she takes me to a lot of shows and stuff. No, I know your mom's a Soundgarden fan, um, but I'm not sure what other bands she's really into do you have like a favorite musical memory with her either a concert or just you know maybe a a favorite band that you both have definitely seeing Blackstone Cherry and Hungry that's one of like the best experiences I had ever had and like she took me to go meet Slipknot so you know those are definitely the two biggest experiences I've had with her and yeah like you mentioned she is a big Soundgarden fan she's a huge Chris Cornell fan and uh, she likes bands like Depeche Mode and stuff so she liked those bands when she was like younger but yeah she does like a lot of the same bands like I do she like she does like Corn and stuff that's definitely some of the stuff we've connected over and like those are my biggest musical memories with her cool and then do you have any favorite memories with your dad oh yeah i i have so many great memories with my dad like we went to see corn last summer he's taken me to see slipknot he's taken me to see so many shows and like we connect so much like sometimes we're just at the house and we'll just turn on turbo and like rock out for like two hours it's just a great experience and you know he's a huge like corn and like breaking benjamin fan just like i am and he 
he's definitely, like, he definitely introduced me to those bands and got me, like, into them. So we definitely connect so much over, like, the Turbo, Octane, and that kind of stuff. We definitely connect over, like, the heavy music. So what's left on your musical bucket list? Like, what if you had, like, two or three of your biggest dreams that you hope someday to accomplish, you know, with regards to music, what would those be? My biggest dream since I was five was to become a professional musician. So that's definitely on the spectrum of what I would want to do when I'm older. I've always been into like playing music and playing guitar. And I mean, all I want to do is have my own band and like be a rock musician. I would definitely want to do something with radio and like definitely something with like that. And like the third thing is, I mean, I just want to see a lot of concerts. Like I love concerts so much. Cool. So you mentioned that you play guitar. Are you self-taught? Do you take lessons? Um, I take lessons. Um, I my teacher, his name is uh, Paul Heaney. I do lessons in our uh, Red Bank, and uh, he has his own studio. He calls it like jazz punk records. He's definitely a teacher that like I uh, really look up to, and he teaches me well. So yeah, I take lessons, and yeah. Cool. All right, not to put you on the spot, but there is a pretty famous heavy band from Red Bank. Do you know which one it is? Well, I know that Monster Magnet is from. Is that? Is That's the one. Yep, yeah, you got it. I, nice. Because I was looking at like cool rock bands from New Jersey, and then I remembered. I should have known you would know that. Yes, they. The only song I know from them is Space Lord, but um, I'm sure. The other stuff is really good, too. Oh, yeah. That's the only song I know from them, too. But I've been, like, looking into listening to them a little bit more. Like, my mom said she saw them in concert, and she said they were pretty good. So, yeah, I really like that song, Space Lord. So I was definitely thinking about looking into some of their other music. Yeah, me too. They're definitely a band I would want to check out. Um, So you and I actually did a bracket since it's March and the college basketball tournaments are about to start. Um, I figured in honor of March Madness, we could do sort of a turbo-themed bracket. So we picked 64 bands that are featured on turbo. uh, We arranged it, you know, like a one seed down to a 16 seed. And then I filled one out and you filled one out. So after this episode finishes in a moment, we'll start the recording uh, where we can go over that. So I'm going to feature that on the YouTube channel as a bonus video separate from this. Um, So before we get into that did you have anything else you wanted to add or or anything to touch upon uh first of all if steve camino is listening to this and if turbo is listening to this i just want to say i love you guys thank you so much for having me on so often and uh i really really appreciate everything that you do um that's pretty much it uh thank you so much for having me on this has been a blast Absolutely. And thanks so much for uh, for coming and hanging out. Um, for anyone listening, if you have any musical memories or favorite bands or anything that you'd like to share with me, feel free to hit me up on social media. Uh, I want to say thanks so much to Lucas for sharing some of his day with us here. And thanks to all of you for listening wherever and whenever you are.